Hello, and welcome to this installment of Public Service Psychology Now, where we keep you updated on some of the things that are happening in Division 18. I'm Jen Snyder, the president of Division 18, and I'm joined by Tiffany Fennell, our president-elect. For those of you listening who may not know, 2021 is the 75th anniversary of the creation of Division 18, and so we're going to be doing a series of interviews with former division leaders to get their insights into the division's history and how that affected where we are today. Today, we're gonna to be talking with Dr. Joel Devaskin, who is president of the division from 1999 to 2000. Dr. Devaskin is currently a clinical assistant professor in the Department of Psychiatry at the University of Arizona Health Sciences College of Medicine in Tucson. He also serves as senior psychologist for Project ABLE, which stands for Active Bystandership for Law Enforcement, part of Georgetown Law School's Innovative Policing Program. He previously taught at the University of Arizona Law School and has served as New York's Acting Commissioner of Mental Health, as well as Chair of the Nevada Governor's Advisory Council on Behavioral Health. He is also a former president of Division 41, American Psychology Law Society. Dr. Devaskin has served as a federal court monitor over correctional and mental health facilities and systems in Washington, New Mexico, Michigan, and Colorado, and frequently serves as an expert witness and consultant for the Civil Rights Division of the U.S. Department of Justice, various state protection and advocacy systems, and various state mental health and criminal justice agencies. In 2020, Dr. Devaskin was awarded the Distinguished Contribution Award by the American Academy of Forensic Psychology and has received similar awards from the Arizona Psychological Association in 2001 and 2010 for distinguished contributions to both the science and practice of psychology. So Dr. Devaskin, welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for being here. It's really an honor to speak with you and such an impressive uh, you know, resume um, that Jen has you know, just told us. But tell us in your own words, what have you been up to since you were president of Division 18? Well, I do a lot of different things. So uh, I've, uh, I do um, consulting kind of human factors consulting on uh, hospital architecture projects. I've done quite a few of those. Uh, the most recent one was a Hawaii State Hospital where we, it's almost finished. We're building a new forensic hospital building. Uh, we did one in uh, Missouri at the Fulton State Hospital and uh, one in Colorado and, and St. Elizabeth's Hospital in Washington, D.C. Um, I... Um, I do a lot of consulting with a variety of go mostly government agencies or the civil rights firms uh, that sue them or investigate them from time to time. Um, uh, for example, I'm working with uh, as a independent consultant for the Oregon Protection and Advocacy um, system and for the Oregon Department of Corrections um, who are trying to improve the mental health services for their highest security inmates with mental illnesses. Um, I, um, I teach at the medical school just for fun more than anything. I just teach a, a one course there on leadership and management at the medical school for the psych residents. Um, and I do a lot of consulting. Um, the thing I'm doing that um, probably the coolest thing I've been doing is working with uh, police agencies on ways to teach police officers how to prevent other officers from committing 
uh, acts of misconduct, making serious mistakes, or to enhance their wellness. So we're really excited about that. And the, the group that I'm working with, which is ABLE, uh, Active Bystandership for Law Enforcement, it's part of the Georgetown Law School's Innovative Policing Project. And we're in the business of trying to provide free training for every law enforcement agency in the United States that wants it. And we've already trained over 300 trainers who work for well over a hundred departments from all over the United States. So we have commitments to train every officer in, let's see, Baltimore, Philadelphia Police Department, NYPD. We just, uh, that's what I spent this week doing, working with the NYPD trainers. Um, uh, Denver, Seattle, Dallas, uh, and then a whole bunch of smaller departments all over the United States. And each of the people we're training are going to go back and provide training to uh, their entire department. So within the next year or so, um, we're going to have a massive footprint in police departments all over the United States. So if you remember the George Floyd, I'm sure you do, the George Floyd incident, uh, one officer was clearly a, a bad guy, but three officers are facing murder charges, homicide charges, uh, and for not intervening, except they were never trained how to intervene. So police have a duty to intervene, but no one ever trains them how to do it. And we're trying to fix that. Uh, we're, it's pretty ambitious. We're trying to fix it all over the United States. And we have a bunch of really fine people that are that are working on this project with us. Um, and that's been, uh, honestly, I think it might be the coolest thing I've ever done. So really excited about that. That is something to be really excited about and so far reaching. And as you said, you know, very ambitious and undertaking, but so critically important. And I just love hearing just how varied your work is, um, you know, impacting um, law enforcement and, you know, public safety and um, kind of the human factors design, designing and, and hospital settings, just, wow, just so varied. Um, imagine there's never a boring day for you. No, I don't like being bored, you can tell. <laughs> oh, keeps me from being bored. Well, speaking of not being bored, I'm sure your presidential term was not um, boring. Um, and it was about like it was about maybe two decades ago. But um, for those of us who may not have been as involved in APA or Division 18 back um, when you were uh, president, can you describe some of the major issues that were going on in Division 18 or APA or even in the country, you know, world at the time that may have impacted public service psychology? Well, if you'll remember that right around the year I was president, we were ending a, uh, eight years of a democratic administration and getting ready to move into a Republican administration. Um, so that was, that's what was going on in the world. <clears throat> um, Y2K was uh, 
a yes. huge issue back then. They thought it was going to destroy the entire financial system because the computers weren't set up for it. In fact, I was uh, part. I was consulting for the United States Secret Service at the time, and they asked me to come to a meeting, uh, a Y2K preparation meeting, and I was in this room with the chief technology officers from. American Express and the biggest banks in America. And it was so interesting. I was, not only was I the dumbest guy in the room, but I was way dumber than anybody else in the room. These guys were all geniuses. And um, it, it was really a fascinating experience. And, and uh, um, you know, it turned out that there wasn't really a big problem, but boy, were they ready for it. They were ready for, they were worried about the uh, possibility of terrorists taking advantage of Y2K to mess with their uh, infrastructure, to mess with our economic system. And it was just uh, amazing to see all these businesses that typically compete with each other, working together with government agencies uh, including the Secret Service, which uh, a lot of people don't know this, but the Secret Service has a lot of uh, treasury responsibilities. Um, they're the main ones who investigate um, uh, counterfeit money and things like that. So, so uh, they were real heavily into protecting the economic system at the time. Um, so that, that was all going on approximately at that time. Interesting. <clears throat> Just kind of speaking of, wow, that was about 20 years ago. And so how, how did that impact your presidential term? Or well, those things go the issues that I was most worried about for Division 18 were really not that much about the stuff I just told you. Um, so there were mainly three issues. My theory about one of my theories about leading organizations is you have two jobs. You should do what you should try to keep everything from falling apart and getting a lot worse. And you should try to pick one thing that's important to you and make it better. Maybe two things, but not too many. Uh, Cause you only have a year and, and if you don't focus, you don't ever get anything done. And, um, so what I decided, I actually decided to focus on two things. One of them is at the time, Division 18 did not have a journal. And I just thought that was an uh, unacceptable situation. I mean, we were an important part of APA and almost all of the divisions had journals and, and some of them were really important and successful. And I thought, you know, we have people that know how to do research, but we're not really making it easy for them to publish within the field. Um, and we don't. And and I thought a journal would would give some focus and bring bring the various parts of of Division 18 together, the various sections. So um, I brought it up to the executive committee, and one person was. Uh, really emphatically opposed to it. Uh, 
a good guy, by the way. And his concern was that it would uh, increase the cost of membership and drive members away. And I had had experience with Division 41 and the journal certainly increased the membership. So I wasn't really concerned about it, but it took a lot of convincing to, to uh, bring the entire uh, executive committee together for, on it, which we finally did. And um, at the time, the most read mental health journal in America and maybe in the world was psychiatric services. Um, which typically would, in addition to its circulation, it would get passed around every hospital that I had ever visited, worked in, or consulted with. Uh, and so I thought, you know, we should have something like that for all of psychology, that Division 18 can provide a wonderful service for the whole field, for all of the people that work in public settings and congregate settings, et cetera. Um, and so finally we did, we got psychiatric services off the ground and it was a bit of a rough start. Um, and then thank God, Pat DeLeon decided to take over editorship and Pat's just an, uh, an organizational genius um, and really uh, kicked everything up a notch. Now, of course that was after I had left, but um, I, I'll, I'll always be grateful to Pat DeLeon for that, uh, for doing such a great job with the journal. And, and a bunch of our members started doing research, publishing their research in our journal, and still a, a, a pretty high percentage of the uh, articles that are published in psycho psych psychological services um, are written by members of Division 18. There's a lot of VA research that gets printed in there. There's a lot of criminal justice research um, and a lot of research that has to do with serious and persistent mental illnesses. So uh, I, I, I'm really proud of that, that we were able to get that off the ground and even more so at the ways it improved after I was long gone. Um, the other issue that I wanted to focus on was our membership. Uh, it was really clear to me there were two things about membership that were really troublesome to me. One of them is there were so many public sector psychologists who weren't members of Division 18. Many of them weren't members of APA. And the other part of that was that our membership was way too white. I, I, I mean, I don't know how else to say it, that we lacked diversity painfully. Um, and I would go to meetings and look around the room and not see diversity. And it really bothered me. So we tried several things to increase the, the diverse membership. Um, uh, we didn't use the term BIPOC back then, but that's what we were trying to do is to get people of color, people that, that identified as indigenous, certainly people that identified as black or some kind of either African-American, African-Caribbean or any of the other uh, ways that people identify themselves um, to make it safe for people to self-identify as uh, gender or sexual minorities. Um, uh, 
you know, we wanted to be, to have open arms for a lot of people. And I, I must say, I, well, I don't feel like I was particularly successful at that. We tried a bunch of things and they were not very successful at the time. In fact, the only way that I actually walked around APA and I would go to the poster sessions and every time I saw a poster and a person standing in front of it who appeared to me to be a person of color, I would go up and read their poster. And if it, if it had to do with public sector issues, I would ask them, are, are you a member of Division 18? Because if you're not, we'd like for you to be. And I was able to recruit some people one-on-one. -on -one, but I learned from that, that that's how you recruit people. You got to make people feel wanted. You got to make them feel recruited. And the best way I knew how to do that was just as a human being is to go walk up and say hi to them. And a lot of them didn't even know about Division 18. Um, in my travels, I was doing a lot of consulting in prisons and state hospitals and jails at the time. So I would, you know, kind of on the side, ask people, are you a member of APA? Are you a member of Division 18? If they said no, I'd say, why not? And the most common answer was, you know, I just don't feel like I'm wanted. Um, and APA was wrestling with the same issues at the time. And, and their membership was not nearly as diverse as it, as it should have been uh, compared to the diversity of psychologists uh, in general. And uh, I can't remember when Norman Anderson became CEO, but Norman's uh, African-American and, and um, after Norman left, uh, now Arthur is African-American. Uh, I'm curious as to where APA stands on that issue now. And I'm also curious to how Division 18 stands on that issue now. But um, there are plenty of prison psychologists, including a lot of people of color who identify them in some, themselves as BIPOC in some way or another who are not, who still aren't members of Division 18 or APA. So those were, those were big issues. And one of them, I feel like I was really successful, especially in retrospect. The other one, uh, I was frankly kind of disappointed in myself. I don't think that we did as well as I was hoping during my tenure. And I should say, I am certainly not the only president that made that a priority. I don't want to give the wrong impression. Lots of presidents have talked about that uh, in Division 18. It sounds like you, you did make some actual, like some real personal outreach efforts to, to, to recruit um, people of color uh, to Division 18 and help increase membership overall. Because I think, of course, it's, you know, I'd um, imagine it's still pretty much you know, where we have a lot of psychologists working in public you know, service sectors that aren't members of our division. And, and, and I think it continues to be a focal point for, for many of us in um, officers and Division 18 on how, that, how to pull people in, you know, what the barriers are. Um, so it's interesting to hear that that was something, you know, that, that was a relevant issue for you back then and continues to be one today. 
Um, and the journal sounds like a huge accomplishment. Um, I, I did not realize that that kind of initiated from you, from your presidential term. Um, and it, I have to agree with you as far as the success of the journal um, today, even um, uh, especially with uh, Dr. Pat DeLeon's leadership has really um, been very successful. But um, it's nice to be able to credit you for getting that started, um, despite the obstacles that you were, that were you were up against at the beginning. Well, thanks. It, I mean, it's the by the metrics. Um, you know, it's become more than. Uh, I mean, it's become an important uh, mental health journal by any metric that you want to use. And and again, that part is Pat, not me. I mean, he he has done a fantastic job as that, and all the associate editors, including Ann Clee, who's probably on your list, is one of them. Yes. Well, um, I guess in addition to the journal for sure, um, what were some of your accomplishments or maybe what were you proud, most proud of during your term? Um, you know, those, those were the big ones. I mean, it, I don't think anything got worse. So that that was important <laughs> yeah. to me that that we kept things going. And um, the uh, executive committee at the time was just a wonderful bunch of people. And and the uh, presidents who preceded me was Walter Pank, who was just a delightful human being. Um, and and there were presidents after me that that uh, we're just, you know, people are good friends of mine to this day um, and who I admire very much. You know, Ann is one, Bob, Bob Morgan is, uh, was wonderful. Um, and each of them, you know, brought a different kind of focus to it, you know, and different set of talents and interests. And, and uh, you know, Bob, I think is gonna end up being the, the person who has the most, uh, presidents that are his uh, academic progeny um, and uh, um, or at least he's going to be in that short list of finalists for that award so um, uh, you know people who bring along other people I, I always admire that and and uh, um, there's a lot a lot of the presidents have been people who brought students along for the ride with them who became not only members of Division 18, but real contributors. Uh, Femina, you know, became president and God, she was, a, you're gonna have to do an hour for her. She was a spectacularly productive president. <laughs> she, I don't think she did, she worked 80 hours a day. I think she was really good. Um, but even in the, in the, sections there was there you know not because of me i mean they just they were working hard the so there were people um you know working on uh, uh a uh, smi um committee or task force that um eventually ended up becoming a specialty within apa which was 
you know, it, it should have been on my list in retrospect. I, 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 I should have made that a priority and, and thank God for the people who did. Um, uh, because that's really important. You know, when I, when I used to run um, forensic services in New York before I became acting commissioner, um, you would hire a, a newly minted psychologist and they wouldn't know very much about SMI because it wasn't much of a focus in graduate schools. Um, luckily, in, in the internships, which were mostly psychiatric settings, they were getting a lot of education about SMI there, but that, should, that was our job. We should have been educating people in graduate school. And I, I honestly still wonder if we're doing a very good job of that. Um, uh, so that's, that's room for our division to continue improving the world. Uh, those are the people who need us the most. And uh, psychologists don't, in my opinion, um, have a lot more to contribute to the lives of people with the most disabling uh, mental illnesses. Um, and it's not used as much so that you know, medicine's used a lot and psychiatrists are good at that. And that's, God bless them. That's a wonderful thing for some people. But for some people, medicine isn't the best answer or a combination of the two is the best answer. Um, they need skill teaching. What, well, what are we better at than anybody is teaching people behavioral, emotional and cognitive skills. Uh, so I think there's plenty of room for us to get a lot better as a field and division 18 in my opinion is the place should be at the the point of that sphere so to speak actually i shouldn't have said that i'm trying to use less war and uh, uh metaphors because <laughs> i i realize they're not nice so so i'll think of a different way to say that next time that's um really um the point you made about kind of the the future or, or kind of an area where we can really shine or um, you really, um, I guess, uh, where Division 18 can really stand out is, you know, our emphasis on SMI for, you know, treatment or populations. And so thank you for, for, for mentioning that. And I'm going to ask you a little bit later about some other maybe future directions for Division 18, some other places where we should maybe put our emphasis or you know, our priorities. But before that, I'm curious about what lessons you learned, um, maybe about yourself or about leadership as a result of your experience. You mean as president of 18? Yes, yes. Um, you know, for much of my life, I've, I've had um, positions of responsibility where I was in a role of leader, um, but I never really had a board of directors, but the executive committee, I treated them like a board of directors. I mean, it, it just wasn't cool to do anything without making sure that the executive committee is on board. Um, so that was fun to learn and they were, they were wonderful people. Uh, I mean, just what a great group. Um, uh, 
and um, they were smart. And, you know, um, when you're the boss, I remember one time, the, the day I became acting commissioner in New York, I got a phone call from the division of the budget director, who was a really close friend of mine. And, and she was, I think she was crying when she called me. And she said, I can't believe I'm doing this to you. And it was literally my first day. And she said that I had to um, cut $250 million from my budget in the same fiscal year. Um, my budget at the time was $3 billion, but only a billion of that was um, discretionary. A, a lot of it was sort of spoken for from Medicaid and stuff like that. So it was like a quarter of our discretionary budget that we had to cut. So I said, well, we'll figure it out. I mean, that's what we got to do then and that's what we got to do. And so I got my executive team in New York together and I said, I told them what the problem was and, and and they said, okay, my, and my deputy, a wonderful man named Jerry Clay, Jerry said, um, we're going we're gonna to meet all weekend and figure this out. So I said, well, I'll be right here with you. He said, no, you won't. I said, I, it kind of hurt my feelings. I said, well, why not? He said, because when you say an idea, that's going to be the right one. And it'll prevent the rest of us from being creative. And right now we need creativity more than anything. So I thought about it, I said, gosh, you know, you're right. When the boss is in the room, it stifles creativity. So I said, well, I'm not going to stay home, but I'll stay in my office and you guys can work and I won't bother you, but I'm not going to let you work while I'm, you know, relaxing in front of a football game. So, so we, that's what we did. And they came up with some incredibly creative, thoughtful solutions and they made up some of the shortfall one way and they cut some stuff another way. And we were able to do it without cutting any services to any patient. It was amazing. And it was them. I, I mean, all I said was yes. Uh, you know, I was so grateful to them. So I think, you know, that was an example of, you know, you don't have to be the smartest person in the room when you're the leader. You, sometimes it's better if you're the dumbest person in the room because everybody else gets to be smarter. Um, and when you're the boss, it's easy to start uh, overestimating your own intelligence and creativity because everybody says, oh, what a great idea, no matter what you say. Well, you learn that from, work, from having to work with a board of directors, or in this case, an executive committee. Um, and luckily they were, so good that it was a really happy, positive experience for me. Um, so I guess that's one thing I took with me. It's a great lesson and kind of also knowing when to kind of step aside and, you know, and, and make space for other people to be creative and, and, and come out, come up with solutions. You also had some other advice earlier in, in this interview about um, Lisa's as a president, maybe picking one or two focus areas because, you know, when we have a year. Do you have any other advice um, for those maybe seeking leadership 
um, experience in Division 18 in general, or maybe for presidents, president-elects like me, but also just in general, Division 18 leadership, any advice? Well, I would say the thing you focus on doesn't have to be a new thing. So for example, um, we've done a great job in the last, say, 15 years. Um, in fact, during my year as president, one of the things that I was really aware of was trying to um, improve the way we dealt with trauma. Um, uh, not so much related to war, but trauma related to the wars that happen in homes all across America, child abuse, uh, uh, intimate partner violence. Um, and we were getting better at that, but, but there was room to get even better. So we had these, you know, Terry Keene and these wonderful psychologists with the VA that were doing just magical work with combat trauma. But it, but it needed to get translated better and better into fam, domestic violence and uh, intimate partner violence and child abuse. Well, that's continued to improve, but that doesn't mean we're done yet. We still got a lot of work left to do. So the focus doesn't have to be a new thing. Sometimes it can be making a good thing way better. Mm. Um, uh, you know, I guess for, you know, creativity means, I mean, one definition of creativity is divergent thinking, where you think of more than one answer to a question. And so as president, that's a good trick to have is to, is to listen to what the problems are and then either yourself or to encourage other people to think of multiple solutions to it so that collectively you can pick the one that's worthy of focus. Um, then you start going from that to strategies of how can I help that to move that needle, whatever it happens to be in the desired direction. So, um, and some of the presidents have done exactly that. Um, uh, and, you know, I'll let them speak for themselves, but I think some of the uh, past presidents have done just that. They've tried to, you know, listen to what problems the field is having and then figure out a way to help the field to uh, move things in a desired direction. That's great advice. So well, that, I guess that's my most powerful advice is listen to the troops, you know, the people that are actually doing the work. Yeah. Um, members. And then, I mean, you know, Jen has had, uh, you know, in some ways the worst year ever to be president of anything um, during COVID because you can't walk around and, and do the things you would want to do. Right. On the other hand, never, ever, ever in the history of this country has leadership been more important for better and for worse than in the past year. Um, we've seen when leadership failed, how much damage it caused. And we've seen when leadership succeeded, how much lives that were saved and, and uh, lives that were improved. And um, so, it, you know, in some ways, Jen, you hit the jackpot. And in some ways, you, you got smacked in the face during your uh, leadership year. But um, 
you know, it was important to, to be a leader in the hardest of time. I mean, anybody can lead when everything's going great. It doesn't take skill or courage or resilience. You just got to show up. But a year like this, it was hard work for you. So thank you for being president this year. Thanks. I really appreciate that. I, I suspect everybody's probably got their, you know, their things that are great and then the things that are challenging. But yeah, I, I mean, there's been some good things that's come out of it for sure. Like um, getting more comfortable with, you know, visual, virtual meetings and things like that. But yeah, it's been a, it's been a challenging year, I think, especially for a lot of the um, public service settings um, that we all work in. I think it's been quite challenging there as well. You know, for most of my adult life, especially since I left New York, I was traveling 130 days a year. Um, and if, if we had had Zoom or meetings.com or whatever the heck, you know, whatever platform you use, I could have traveled half as much because I would fly to Washington for a for an eight-hour meeting that I easily could have done like this. So um, there are some changes. Some, you know, I'm just sorry that half a million people had to die uh, unnecessarily, but um, or at least most of them unnecessarily. Um, but there are definitely good things that came out of it. I mean, we've seen our neighbors. You know, I mean, a, a, a small percentage of them are, you know. I almost said a bad word, but um, but many more of them rose to this occasion. People were helping each other out. Um, so, you know, it's been an opportunity to, for people to show their better angels during this past year. And a lot of people did. So we just have to remember that. Point. Yeah. As we come to a close um, and kind of thinking about the future of Division 18, I know you highlighted some of our, um, you know, our special interests or, you know, SMI for one, even maybe um, helping to improve trauma or broadening our, our impact or, or knowledge, you know, to help um, in multiple areas where people have experienced trauma, but what do you see as the future of Division 18 or um, I guess, uh, or what do you see for our division or would like to see? Well, it's a good question. I hadn't thought about that one yet. So let me give it a second. I guess my first thought is as, as we get a little bigger, um, we should get bigger for the reasons I said earlier and we should get more diverse but as we do get bigger, um, it, it's really dangerous that we start to divide and that the sections become more independent. And there's nothing wrong with them being independent, but it's, it's bad if they become less connected to each other. And, and uh, so for example, there are some astonishingly gifted people in the VA who are really good at some important stuff. And I wonder how much of an effect they're having on criminal justice, on prisons, on state hospitals. 
so the, the sections need to learn from each other. So that to me would be a one good um, goal to have is to find ways to bring sections together as they're becoming more independent and stronger in, independently. That, that's a challenge and it, it'll take some creativity. Maybe those video platforms can be helpful in that. <clears throat> um, the University of New Mexico during the past year has started doing a uh, forensic free one hour of CE every Tuesday. And they're getting five, six, seven, eight hundred people show up. Um, well, Division 18 could do that. I mean, all you need is a, the more expensive Zoom license. It's not very expensive. It's actually ridiculously cheap, at least for now. <clears throat> um, uh, you know, CE hours are really valuable to people and a lot of places charge way too much for them. Um, so that's, that's an area. Um, um, portability is another area. The, the ASPP, -P, ASPPP, I think it is, or something like that. Um, they're trying to make it easier for people to move from state to state and to practice interjurisdictionally. That's another area that uh, Division 18, at least to my knowledge, hasn't been much of a part of that, but could be. Um, you know, if you're working in a prison and you've got a, uh, a patient that needs some kind of therapy or crisis intervention and they don't speak a language that any of your psychologists speak, why in the world shouldn't you be able to go online and, and get help from somebody that speaks their language instead of using a translator who, you know, it's, that's a hard way to do psychotherapy <laughs> it, when somebody can't speak your language and you can't speak theirs. Um, so there's a lot of different you know, areas. If you put all those beautiful minds together that are in your executive committee of ways we could do better work in the public sector, um, mm -hmm. there's a lot of good answers to that. <clears throat> those are really great ideas. So diversifying our membership, building, continuing to grow it, um, working in some of these areas, licensure mobility hadn't been, would, would not come to my mind at all. I mentioned that, but it makes, it does make some sense. Well, um, I know we spoke at it um, even longer than I, expect it, but it's been really great hearing your thoughts and experiences. Is there anything else you like um, people to know um, as we come to a close? I, I would just tell all the membership, what you're doing is really important that um, a lot of times in the day-to-day -day world of prison where security seems to trump psychology a lot in state hospitals where psychiatry seems to trump psychology a lot. Uh, we need each other. We need, they need us and we need them. 
um, they're not the enemy. They're, they, they appreciate you more than you think they do. And the work you're doing is really important. Uh, anytime you teach a person skills, behavioral, emotional, or cognitive skills, they, they tend to stick with people because they self-reinforce. So the work that, that uh, our members do is really important work. And I was really proud to be a president. You guys should be proud that you got elected president. And for those of you who are listening to this that are new to the field, you can be president if you choose to. You just got to start working now. And it's not that this is, there is no in crowd in division 18. I mean, you might think there is, but you're wrong. Uh, anybody that, that wants to get involved and, and spend some time on a committee, soon you'll be chair of it. And after you're chair of a committee, next thing you know, somebody will be asking you to run for some position on the executive committee. And uh, after a while, you'll, you can be president too. And, and, uh, all you need is, I mean, you have the brains or you wouldn't be a psychologist because it's hard to get a PhD in psychology. It's hard to get in. Um, uh, and if you have the interest and you're willing to work, it's there for you and it'd be a good thing to do. You won't regret it. I don't. I'm really glad that I did it. Thank you so much for those words and very inspirational. And thank you for your time in service to Division 18, as well as in many other ways um, you've served, served the public. Well, thank you for inviting me. I appreciate it. <clears throat> yeah, thank you. Jen, do you wanna spin us out? Uh, yeah, sure. Thank you for listening to this um, episode of uh, Public Service Psychology Now, and we'll be returning um, soon with more um, of our 75th uh, anniversary interviews. And please subscribe um, so that you get notification of when we are uh, dropping a new episode. And thank you for listening. Thanks, you guys. You, you asked great questions, Tiffany. That was really well.